I wonder how many of you this morning have ever felt the sense of urgency in your life. I mean, I mean the kind of urgency that you got to get the bill in. I mean, you got to you got to send the check in because you know it's going to be late, and you know you've never been late on a, a payment in, in this scenario, and and you just got to get the check in. Or maybe it's the kind of urgency that you feel when you're running down the corridor of the terminal because you're trying to catch a flight and there's an event on the other end of it, and you just got to get on the flight because you can't miss the event, and so you're just kind of urgent. You're hurrying, trying to get the end of the terminal, and, and you just cannot miss the flight. I mean, really feeling urgent like that. Maybe it's the urgency that you feel when, when you know that a relationship has kind of gone sideways on you. And you realize that this relationship is really important to you and, and you, you, you're urgent to make it right again. You're urgent to, to, you know, to bond the relationship and, and heal the relationship. And so you, you have this urgency just to make it right. Maybe, maybe urgency for you has, has been a physical thing where something's wrong and you just, you're urgent to get it taken care of. I'll, I'll never forget that afternoon. I, I was taken to lunch by a, a guy by the name of Jerry Ford, who was a member of the church I pastored. And another guy there at the church, they took me out for my birthday. And while I was eating stew at the Cracker Barrel, I was eating stew at the Cracker Barrel. And right in the middle of of taking a bite, I had this pain hit me right here, right here. And I've never felt it before. And I mean, it just hit me and just kind of made me just bend over for a moment. And so they began to talk with me, what's wrong, pastor? And so I ended up going to see my doctor. The doctor sent me to the hospital and, and so he began to put me through a, a battery of tests and, and, and the tests went on and on and on. And six hours later, I'm still there waiting. I'm in the waiting room. I've been through all kinds of tests and I'm in the waiting room and I'm pacing the floor back and forth. And kids, I have, have sweat running off my face. This pain is hitting me right here. It's doubling over. I feel like I'm going to faint. I'm in so much pain. And then the doctor comes out and says, I have one more test. You're going to have to lay on a board. It's going to take an hour and a half. And I said, doctor, no doing. Get this thing out of me. Do surgery now. Cut into me. Whatever you have to do, I want this pain to go away. Man, I felt urgent about that and the, that, that pain that I had. Well, I, I kind of feel that Jesus, when we come to Matthew chapter 25, that's where we're at, by the way. We go to Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to pick up around verse 14. I, I kind of feel that, that Jesus had a sense of urgency As he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, in fact, the way he talks about it, he's saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. In fact, if we look at the passage, it's couched by by really uh, two other stories. One is a sheep and goat story, and and the other one is about the ten virgins, and we're going to come back to that. But but he's, he's given this... This really this kind of oral presentation, this this public, you know, notification in in the very last part of his ministry. In fact, a, a little bit later, not too long, just a little bit later, what happens is Jesus Christ, he's he's arrested. So I believe that the timing of this passage or this message that he's he's sharing with the public, you know, there's some significance because it's the end of his ministry. And so I believe, you know, for Jesus, there was some urgency that he he would get out the idea of what king the the kingdom of heaven is like. It, it's kind of like if 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 I were uh, I decided to go to the mission field, my wife and I and. And it was before, you know, all the technology that we have today. And I knew that I was not going to be able to speak to my kids for 10 years. 
And I was going to, you know, share with my kids something, some kind of wisdom, you know, a nugget of wisdom before I, I left for, for the mission field. I, I would want to process it and think about it. And I would kind of be urgent. You know, you can imagine I would kind of be urgent about trying to get to them the, the truth that I'd want them to know, that I'd want them to remember. And so as a parent, I'd want to spend time with them and I'd feel a sense of urgency about sharing truth with them. And I, I cannot help but think that Jesus probably had a little bit of a sense of urgency about communicating about the kingdom of heaven and, and what that, that kingdom is actually like. In fact, as we look at the passage, um, again, knowing that, that there's these two other stories, and, and of course Jesus is arrested shortly after, we, we, we recognize the significance of the first part of, of this text, or this, this chapter really, where he, it speaks about the ten virgins. In fact, it's about the ten virgins having oil for their lamps. You know, for when, of course, the bride arrives or the groom arrives and and what happens is five of them, they get the oil and they have the oil for the lamps and the other five do not. And the problem is, is that they do not prepare themselves. They do not get what they need or they they do not obtain, you know, of course, the product that they need to, to use their oil lamps. And the result of that is they miss out on the possible blessing that they could have experienced that otherwise they do not experience because they do not get what it is they needed for the job. And you can look at the story there. And then, of course, the goats and the sheep, this parable makes it very clear that there's no gray area when it comes to having faith in Jesus Christ. It talks about, of course, the sheep being on the right and the goats being on the left. And then, of course, you know, if you're on the right, you're going to heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what the story is about. Bear with me. If you're on the right, of course, you're going to heaven. If you're on the left, uh, you're not because you do not have faith in Christ. Now, when I read this again, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little harsh because it's it's really to the point when we read, you know, uh, this through this passage. In fact, let's begin in chapter 25, looking at verse 14. And the parable we're looking at this morning is the parable of the bags of gold. So listen to this as we begin 25, chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one one bag each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags of gold. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. So, of course, we heard the story before. We know how this unfolds. Uh, that one that invests his five bags of gold earns five more bags of gold. He brings it back to the master. And what happens? The master, how does he respond? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Where you've been faithful with a little, I'll give you more. I'll give you more blessing. And then the man with the two bags of gold, he turns the two bags of gold into four bags of gold, right? And then the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with a little, I'll give you some more. And then we come to the man that received the one bag of gold. Looking at verse 24, follow me now. Go to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. 
His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in, on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, as I said, when we first read this, it comes across as being really, really pretty harsh. Because we see this delineation, I mean, this, this division between those, you know, that are a part of the kingdom, those that are not a part of the kingdom. And again, the sheep and goats give this, this clear idea that there are those that have faith in Christ and those that do not have faith in Christ. But in this parable, now in the context in which we are reading this morning, they're beginning at verse 14 down through about verse 30. This parable outlines the fact that our work will show us for who we are when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, Bringing this kind of to a point, look at verse verse 26. I mean, verse 26 talks about, of course, the businessman. It puts it in that kind of context. You know, the businessman that is, you know, expecting his investments to do something, expecting some kind of return and some kind of, you know, dividend as a result of the investment that he makes when he gives out his bags of gold. Now, it's interesting that we see this again, again, it's, it's about a business scenario that he's investing not only his money that they, that money might re- give dividends or return, but notice he's also investing in those that he's giving his bags of gold to. I mean, that's significant because we're understanding this is, again, it's just a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here is the businessman, and like a businessman today, he's widely invested. He reaches far into his community. He's making an impact, you know, for hopefully the greater good. So, so what is the parallel? The parallel meaning is that here we have a God who is our master that is investing in us. Did you know that? That God has invested in you? I mean, I don't know. It's possible that somebody has come in here this morning and you've not... You, you've not felt very valuable or maybe you, you're not valuing yourself right now. And maybe you're going through a dark time in your life. I, I don't know what you're going through right now, but, but I want you to know this before you leave. Teenagers, before you leave today, if you've not heard, I want to say this, that God has invested in you. And that God loves you. And that God became flesh and dwelt among us and, and, he, and he, he went to the cross because he loves us. And not only is a just God, but is a just God that does something about, you know, justice for us on our behalf. God has invested in you. And here is the parallel truth that we have. That is that in this investment, he is believing that that your life is worth more than what you think it's worth. And that salvation is not just for your salvation, but it is a kind of salvation that is worthy of sharing. You see, it's the multiplication concept here, the multiplication of a heavenly investment that is for everyone. What I'm saying is, I think the gist of the, the message is that there is enough grace for all. And you see, the enemy would want you to just keep it to yourself. But you see, here's the idea. Multiply what God has done, how he's invested in you by sharing Jesus with others. You see, there is enough grace for all. You believe that today? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe that today. God has invested in you and there is enough grace for all. But that, that, we're not stopping there. Go to verse 28. Look at verse 28. Now, remember, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And when we we are part of the kingdom of heaven, bear with me here. When we're part of the kingdom of heaven, then we are mindful of heavenly things. Right. If we're part of the kingdom, and we have faith in Christ, then we're mindful of heavenly things. And when we're mindful of heavenly things, we are of the mind of the kingdom. We we are in the business of the kingdom of God and we are, are not working necessarily so much for some other cause. But we're working for the cause of the kingdom of God, even in the work that we do, even in the life that we live and the families that we raise. We are raising them in the reality of the kingdom of God. You see, I think this is part of the message because, you see, Jesus knows that there is a temptation to invest in other types of kingdoms like the kingdom of self. Or the kingdom of money or the, the kingdom of pleasure. And we have this temptation to chase after all these other things and to build other kinds of kingdoms rather than the kingdom of God. This is relevant. In fact, I think of another passage we could read that, that says or that reads, you cannot have two masters, right? You cannot have two masters. You see, you cannot put one foot in one kingdom and your other foot in the other kingdom and things come out all right. That That's what Jesus wants us to understand here and with some urgency because again this is right at the end of his ministry before he's arrested and there's some urgency that that the people would understand what the kingdom of heaven is like and and he'd want us to understand this you know this idea of of the kingdom of heaven in fact if i had a goal today the goal for every one of us this morning is that every one of us has a sense of urgency about the kingdom of heaven that that's part of my goal this morning that we leave this room and we all kind of have this sense of urgency about sharing with others the kingdom of heaven but the second thing i believe my goal would be for this morning is that we understand how uniquely god has equipped every one of us for his kingdom That God has uniquely equipped you. He's uniquely given you a talent. He's uniquely given you some ability, like Allie here, who played her cello for us. And she's using that for the glory of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Allie, for that. Because God has gifted us uniquely to serve him. And I, I think the enemy would not want us to understand this. He would not want us to embrace it. I guess if the parable is the bags of gold, right, then the question is, what are you doing with your bags of gold? I mean, how are you blessing the kingdom with the talent that God has given you, the abilities that God has given you? How are you blessing the kingdom of God with the bags of gold, you see, that the Lord has bestowed upon your life? I, I was blessed when I, I had the, the privilege of listening to an interview of, of the CEO and the founder of a man who launched a ministry called Solutions of change. I believe that's the name. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure if I remember correctly, but I believe the ministry is the Ministry of the Solutions of Change or Solutions Ministry, something like that. And he was being interviewed and in talking about uh, creating a, subst- a substantive change in the lives of homeless people. And, and of course, my ears perked up because there's such an issue with homelessness and what is the role of the church and what is my role as a believer. And he was talking about, you know, offering a substantive option or choice for making change in the lives of those that are homeless. And he was talking about their program, that they have a 1,000-day program. That's right, a 1,000-day program. 
program, which is three years. And what they do is they introduce people into the thousand day program. And then they have benchmarks for those that are homeless if they're to be a part of the program. And one of the benchmarks is that they have to have a job for at least six months during that thousand day period. They have to have saved up in a personal savings account $2,000 by day 500. And then, of course, there are some other benchmarks and then they graduate them out of the thousand day program. And then, of course, they're at that point, they have a home and they're working. They're living on their own. They're independent. Now, listen to this. This is what got my attention. You know what the success rate of that that ministry is? 73 percent success rate that people that get a job, that get their own place, they get off the street, they get out of the cycle of addiction or abuse or whatever it is they're going through, that they have a 73 percent success rate. Do you know that's three times the success rate of our government programs? I, I, I was, I'm like listening and my point in sharing the story is here is a man that has special ability and talents. He's using, he is using those abilities and those talents for the glory of the kingdom of God to make a real difference in this place, in this world that we live. You see, the message is this, that God has gifted you and God has given you talent to make a real change in this world, in this kingdom that is God's kingdom for God's glory. Amen. And oftentimes it's according to the passions that we have. I I was at Einstein's bagels, eating a bagel and a cup of coffee or something was happening. and, And I noticed these two guys that were sitting at the table next to me. And they were really hip looking and they, they, I mean, they were really sharp guys and they were talking about church. Well, immediately my ears perked up because I love church and, and then they were talking about worship and other things like that. And, and, and so I inserted myself in the conversation as I do and, and I introduced myself and we began to talk about church. Well, about two or three weeks after that, one of those guys called me. We went out for coffee and we talked more about church because I love church. And I'm passionate about church. And and God uses that passion that we have to build his kingdom and to glorify him. And you see, God has gifted us, every one of us. Maybe it's the gift of giving. Some of you have the spiritual gift of giving to others. Heidi and I was blessed, you know, during the holidays for Thanksgiving. We get a phone call where Heidi gets a text. And it's one of our dear ladies. In fact, Diane Cremo, she's sitting back there. She texts Heidi and says, I have something for you. I'm coming by the house. And so Heidi says, she's coming by. I'm okay, she's coming by. Well, guess what? She comes by and she brings us something. You know what she brings us? My family is there. My kids were there. It was the holidays. You know what she brings us? She brings us, see if I can get this right, death by chocolate cake cake. I mean, if you ever want to find a way to die, a good way to die, that's the best way to die. Death by chocolate cake. So she brings us death by chocolate cake. And, of course, the family eats it up and we love it. But what I love most is that Diane has a spiritual gift of giving. I've never told you that. That that you have a giving heart, a servant's heart. And, And, folks, God has called every one of us. Young people, I want to say this. Be listening and watching yourselves. God has called us to serve him in his kingdom and boy, it is a joy when we discover what it is that God has gifted us with to serve. Amen. Maybe your talent is calling and visiting people. Maybe your talent is encouragement. We have a lady named Ella Berry that sits on the second row in her first service. And every Sunday she comes and she hugs the pastors. And she's hugging other people and she's kissing them on the cheek. And she has the gift of encouragement. I mean, I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your talent is. Maybe it's singing like Molly up here on stage. 
But you're using that to glorify God and to build the kingdom. So, so, so we have a calling. But listen to this. We are all called to certain things, by the way. We are all called to certain things. We are all called to worship. We're all called to worship God. In fact, when we were in Israel a couple of weeks ago, every hill and every mountain that we looked at had rocks all over it. I mean, it's a very rocky place. Israel has a lot of rocks. You know what the scripture says? If we do not worship God, what will happen? Yeah, the rocks will cry out. That's what the scripture says. The rocks will cry out. Folks, we are called to worship God. Amen. We're all called to worship God. You know what? Something else. Everyone in this room, we're all called to pay tithes. Ouch. We're all called to pay tithes, to pay 10%, to give God 10%. Not because of of duty, but because we really love the Lord. And we want to say, God, I love you this much. And so we do what God has asked us to do and to, to pay tithes unto him. You know, I challenge us this morning, believers, I challenge us to pay not just 10 percent, but 11 percent, maybe during this holiday season or maybe even 12 percent. I mean, we give to everybody else during the holidays. Let's give to God. What would happen if we really give to God? We are all called to pay our tithes for God's glory. Amen. We are all called to prayer. By the way, we're all called, everyone in this room, we're called to prayer and to supplication, to be a praying church and to pray for each other and to lift each other up in prayer and to pray for the church and to pray for our families and our praying for our loved ones that we are to be a praying people. Amen. God's called us to that. We are called, everybody in this room, listen to this, we are all called to evangelism. It's not a personality thing. Oh, that's your thing and that's not my thing. No, we are all called to evangelism. We are called to share our story of who Jesus Christ is with other people. We're all called to be evangelistic, at least in our spirit and in our willing heart. I, I, uh, I get coffee on Sunday mornings at 7-Eleven down the street here. And the same guy, I pay the same guy every Sunday morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, I get some coffee. And I begin to kind of pray and look at my notes and stuff. But anyways, I go into 7-Eleven and the same young man, about 30 years old, has been selling me my coffee for the last two years. As long as I've been here, he's been at that 7-Eleven. And as I got my coffee this morning, I was thinking about my notes and I got back in my truck. I mean, the Lord just hit me with guilt because I've been friendly and he smiles and I smile, but I've not really built a, a bridge into his life, a kind of a friendship. And, and the Lord laid on my heart, I'm going to build a bridge relationship with him and I'm going to invite that young man to church. Not because I get a trophy, you know, not because there's anything, any record, because, because God loves him. And I'm called to love him on behalf of God. And, and we are all called to evangelism and share our story. I, I, I was in Denny's just about a week ago. My wife and I go to Denny's maybe once a month and we have breakfast there on Saturday. And there's a waitress that waits on us quite often, the same waitress every time. And we went into Denny's a couple of weeks ago and, and I asked her, is there something that we can pray about for you? And she looked at me. She says, no, my family's fine. And she took off. They were kind of busy. I could understand that. But then... Um, in the, the middle of our meal, while I was eating, we were eating, she came back and she was a little misty eyed. And she said, Pastor, she says, I, I wasn't being truthful with you. She says, I do need you to pray about something. Would you pray for my son? I'm not allowed to tell you what she shared with me. I don't think that would be right. But she shared something with me that was very heavy. Her 20 year old son. I mean, it, it was it was. It was terrific. I mean, it was heavy. And she shared this with us, and we promised that we would pray for her son. 
as she just opened her heart to us. We're all called to evangelism. We're all called to, you see, to share the love of Jesus with others. And, and maybe that's just kind of reaching out to them just a little bit. And sometimes it's maybe inviting them to church, however that unfolds. You know, I mean, God's in charge. Amen. And so we recognize that we're all called to, to share our testimony. We look at verse 30 there, and again, we're kind of looking at the opposite truths. I mean, if one thing is true, then the opposite must be true. We look at verse 30, and we read about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, kind of harsh, but yet, I mean, that's, that's, that's about hell. Well, then the opposite is true. It's about heaven. Amen. It's about knowing that heaven is a deciding factor and heaven is a place. And, and, you know, the goal is that we are urgent about sharing heaven with other people by the end of this hour that we spend together. And, folks, I am urgent that everybody knows who Jesus Christ is, everyone that I meet, everyone that I encounter. And I want to invite you to be urgent about heaven and send some urgency about sharing Jesus with others, especially during this holiday season. What an opportunity that we have. Amen? Isn't that right? What an opportunity that we have. I want to invite us to be reminded a little bit about heaven as we participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. We're going we're gonna to receive the elements in just a little bit. In fact, I want to invite the servers that are helping in this hour to come and help us today. Go ahead and come forward, servers. And as we prepare our hearts today to participate in, in the Lord's Supper, I, I want to invite us just to be reminded of, of how much God loves us, how much God has invested in your life. And when I see Ruth, I don't just see a person, Ruth. I see Ruth. And I see God having poured himself into you. And the tremendous potential that you are for the kingdom of God. And it will not surprise me when I see your life unfold, bringing glory to him. I think of all of our young people and our college, our college students and our families, that God is pouring his love into you, and that there is this potential and there is this value in Mission Church of the Nazarene that God has invested in us. Amen. And it's not an accident that we've gathered today. It's not an accident that we're thinking about God and heaven and, and, and how we have a place in his plan, in his will. And I want to invite us just to be obedient to the Lord this morning as we take the, the Lord's Supper together in just a moment and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I will do. Lord, whatever your will is for my life, Lord, I'll be obedient. And so I just invite you to allow this time, this holy sacrament, to be a time to hear God's voice and say, God, I will do. I will respond. I'll be obedient. Whatever you want me to do, and I believe, believe the Lord will be glorified in that.